Hey everyone, welcome to Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. In today's episode, I got to talk with Dr. Jim Martin, Vice President of Harding School of Theology in Memphis, Tennessee, a small but well-respected seminary affiliated with Churches of Christ and my graduate-level alma mater. Jim Martin has served in ministry for nearly 40 years across the Bible Belt, and I wanted to ask him, what's one piece of advice you'd give young ministers? The pandemic has taught many ministers not just the great value in being able to learn new skills, but also the necessity of learning new skills on the job. Jim Martin brings his decades of wisdom and experience to bear on this issue of continuing to learn and grow in ministry. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here on the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe to us and maybe share us with someone you think who might benefit from this? And as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Dr. Martin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast uh, today. I really appreciate you taking some time to sit down with us and talk to us a little bit about what we're going to get into here in just a minute. Before we get into that, though, I do want to uh, ask, would you be willing to take just a couple of minutes to tell us a little bit about your your experience in ministry, kind of what you're doing now, kind of fill us in for uh, what's going on with you these days? Sure. Um, so I served in congregations for about 36 years, um, Florence, Alabama, almost eight years, and Kansas City, Missouri, almost three, and then Waco, Texas for 20 years. And I was preaching minister in, all th- in those three churches mm-hmm. and uh, came here to Harding School of Theology in Memphis uh, seven years ago, a little over seven years ago, and I serve as uh, vice president here, and that's I, that means I just do a lot of administration all day long. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of what I do. Okay. All right. And you said 36 years in congregational ministry. Uh-huh. All right. Well, it seems like you are definitely the right person for us to, for us to ask this question. And so without any further ado, let's, let's get right down into it. Uh, Dr. Martin, what is one piece of advice you would give for young ministers? Well, I thought about this, uh, and you know, you, I don't know. There's there, there are a number of directions I could go, but here's one, and that is to know that you have learned something already, but to keep on learning. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes young ministers, sometimes all of us actually, will get stuck in a certain way of learning. Uh, I'm at a, I'm at a seminary. In fact, I can look out my window, which is, uh, just across from me and there's this huge library. So there's the tendency from a lot of young ministers to think that everything is found in a book. I just need to find the book. I need to order the book. Uh, and it's true in a seminary, you're going to read a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially with the and professors then, that I know at that. Seminary. There you go. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah. And when you work with the church, it doesn't matter if you're a preaching minister or you're teaching a Bible class. Um, I think reading is important. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there are other ways to learn besides reading. Um, one of the, I think one of the things that's really important for a younger minister is is to know 
let me back up. First of all, that you have learned something. Mm-hmm. You, you really have, uh, you, you know, sometimes we look around and we read the next book or we listen, we, we think about a seminary professor and we think, man, I don't know anything. Well, you don't know everything, but you know something. You have learned something. But good ministers keep on learning. Well, there are, there are books. That's good. One way we learn, though, is by learning to ask very good questions. Mm. And there are people in our congregations who know a lot about what they do. It may be, maybe they know a lot about teaching high school. Uh, the mechanic may know a whole lot about uh, fixing a car. The, the, you know, FedEx driver may know a whole lot about the layout of a city or a community. Um, I think sometimes ministers will kind of look at people like that and, you know, we'll, and we don't, we, we don't ask questions, we don't inquire, but yet we want them to listen to us when we talk. Um, there's so much we can learn by just being curious mm-hmm. um, and asking great questions. And, I, and I've found through the years that I learned so much just by asking good questions. And so one of the ways we keep on learning is by making sure that we continue to be curious. So I could go on with that, but I'll stop. But that's one thing I would encourage younger ministers to do is keep on learning. I like too, how you mentioned the different kinds of folks that you were likely to find in a congregation. Mm -hmm. Got somebody in, in education, got somebody who uh, is in a more blue collar job, like a truck driver or something along those lines. Uh, all of whom you you are correct to say, we would hope that they would learn something from us. Mm-hmm. So we have to find ways to um, find ways to learn from them. Mm-hmm. And I like how you put this: l- learn how to. We have to ask great questions. Um, that strikes me as a skill. Mm-hmm. That um, and if it's a skill, it's surely something that can be practiced. Mm-hmm. I would want to know, and, and I think let me reiterate: I, I definitely agree with you. I, I think that's really valuable. What's a what's a way that I can start? Like, how can I start learning how to ask better questions? Yeah. Do you think? I think one. That's, that's, that's a good question, Kevin. One thing is, is just to think about other people and what they might have to offer. For instance, if I, let's say, let's say I had a high school basketball coach in, in, in my congregation. Well, he's, or she, they think about motivation all the time and discipline. And I might ask, uh, you know, you probably think a lot about the habits of players that are improving. How do you instill good habits into these players? What does that look like? Um, I might ask something like that. So I, I just might think, for instance, if I were talking to an attorney in the congregation, 
Could you talk to me about how you deal with clients and conflict, maybe the conflict there? What have you learned? There are two, two or three nuggets you've kind of picked up yeah. about dealing with a client in conflict with a, with a business or with a, maybe it's a, a, a former spouse. Um, I don't know. I just think we forget that these people, like, there's something they've learned or are learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, uh, I can see how it's almost like I need to, I need to learn how to put myself in their shoes. If, if I'm understanding yeah. you correctly, if yeah. I can envision myself to some degree in their, in their job or in their occupation or in situations that they find yeah. themselves pretty regularly, I can uh, basically ask them how to uh, ask them to explain how almost how they excel uh-huh. at the things that they do well. Do you think that's a, a fair assessment of, of yeah. how to how to describe learning how to ask good questions? I think that's good. You know, if I'm going to go back to the high school basketball coach, yeah. if the high school basketball coach were to say, well, let me just tell you, you got to practice free throws every day. That's what I tell the kids. It's not a gimme. You need, I might ask myself, are there certain free throws I need to be practicing in my life daily? Mm-hmm. Things that I just take for granted. But if I could be intentional about what I do for 30 minutes every day, could that be a habit that could build on? What would that look like? I find that very helpful to give that some thought. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. You know, it's just, yeah. uh, just being curious, curious enough to ask, uh, you know, I, I was talking, I, I'm not going to beat this to death, Kevin, but I was talking to a basketball coach, a college coach, not long ago. And I was asking him, what do you love about what you do? And he said, it's the practice. Because if we can have a great practice, I can tell you what's probably going to happen in the game. Right. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that, yeah. Because a lot of ministers, we focus on Sunday. Let's just have a great Sunday. It's the, it's and the game, could, so to speak. It's right. the game. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and could it be that I need to be a little more intentional about my Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, these week, these ordinary weekdays? Mm-hmm. Could that be helpful if I would be a little more intentional uh, instead of just being totally focused on the game? Yeah. 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 As soon as you said uh, practicing free throws, you know, going back to the hypothetical basketball, high school basketball coach, practicing free throws, I, I am that immediately reminded me of the, the church equivalent, which would be spiritual disciplines, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the person, uh, the coach who drills practicing mm-hmm. free throws with that frequency and with that intensity, mm-hmm. that, that person wants their players, that coach wants their players to excel in the basics. Mm-hmm. I mean, free, shooting a free throw, right? Like, I didn't play yeah. basketball, but I've seen yeah. enough basketball to know that you, you can be a stud like Shaquille O'Neal yeah. <laughs> and not be a great free throw shooter. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that does make a lot of sense. That um, basically, what you're 
what you would be encouraging them to do is um, you in this particular instance, find ways to excel in the basics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And it's also interesting too, where he, uh, the college coach said that if you practice well, he's, he's going to know, um, he's got a good idea of what's going to happen. That reminds me of the analogy where if you have a, um, you know, the way to tell mm -hmm. what is inside a, uh, inside a jar is to bump it or knock it over mm -hmm. because what's inside of it will spill out. If you're, if you're, if you're practicing the spiritual disciplines well, mm -hmm. to contextualize it for a church setting, if you're practicing yeah. the spiritual yeah. disciplines well, you know, when you get bumped or upset or, or when a pandemic hits, mm -hmm. those are the things that, um, that tend to come out. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Dr. Martin, I, I appreciated what you said here just a minute ago. Uh, I've, I've, been, I've been taking notes as we've been talking. You said, good ministers keep on learning. And I would agree 100%. Um, for the ministers who are not able to, you know, very easily, you know, or, or quickly, you know, complete a, complete a degree like you could get at, uh, at Harding School of Theology or, or something along those lines, do you have some suggestions for ways that you can not just be at church, not just do the things at church, but really learn while, while working as a minister. What, is, what are some of those other ways that you can really keep on learning as a uh, minister, the, in addition to asking good questions? One of the things I would do is what you're doing right now, and I would find some people who... Maybe I've heard something good about, maybe I, maybe I know. And I did this for years, Kevin, and basically interview them. I would ask a person, you know, could I buy you coffee and just ask you questions about life and, and your work uh, or lunch? And, uh, and that's one way. And I've found whether it's a Zoom call or on the phone, uh, you know, a lot of people are willing, very willing to have these conversations. Man, I have learned so much just from talking with other Christian people about life and uh, ministry. Um, that's one route to go. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, it might just be asking somebody who you respect and admire, is there one book, I can't buy a whole bunch of books, but is there one book I could read right now that could be a game changer, a life changer for me? Mm -hmm. I've asked that question before. Um, you know, uh, so much is available online now. Yeah. Um, to simply ask somebody, you know, of all these websites, are there two or three that could be really helpful to a person like me? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great suggestions. Um, the one about the book really stands out to me. And the, the, the thing about a, buying a book is oh. if you're actually going to 
take the time to read it rather than just use it to, to decorate the shelves in your office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're actually going to take the time to read it, that is an investment and would mm -hmm. definitely be worth finding a trusted individual to get their opinion on something that, you know, will take some time. Um, you know, it's a little yeah. bit easier with audiobooks, but mm -hmm. uh, it will definitely take some time. Um, may I ask, since you had asked that question before, um, can you think off the top of your head, what were one of those two book suggestions that you got in the past that, um, that you would still end up recommending today? I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't give you a heads up about that question ahead yeah, of time. So it's all right. sorry to spring that one on you. It's all right. Well, at one particular time in my life, when I was a very young minister and I was completely overwhelmed because I could say no to any, I couldn't say no to anything I thought. Mm -hmm. Somebody suggested, you need to read Gordon McDonald's book, Ordering Your Private World. And I read that book and boy, I began to think a whole lot about what was making me tick and why I was doing what I was doing. That was one moment like that. Um, somebody suggested one time, uh, if you've never heard of John Dixon, who is an Australian uh, church historian who can actually communicate in very clean en clear English that people can understand, you need to read John Dixon. And I started reading John Dixon, and I would look up his YouTubes, and I I'm a, man, I would hear him talk, and uh, I just remember being in at home or in my office there in Waco thinking, man, this is so helpful. Uh, yeah. That's what comes to mind, just, just off the cuff. Yeah. I'm intrigued by this book that you mentioned. Um, what I'm not sure that I caught the title all the way. How to order your private? That's world? close. Okay. Ordering your private world. Ordering uh -huh. your private world by Gordon McDonald. Gordon McDonald. So, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I apologize. I'm McDonald. McDonald. Oh, okay. Yeah, like uh, like the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, and it's it's an old you know I, I can't remember when it was published. Now it's been around a while, mm -hmm. but basically uh, the principle is as true today as it was true then, and that is that far too many of us pay so much attention to our external world. Um, do people notice me? Do people respect me? Do people think I know some things? Do I am I? Do I look like I know what I'm doing? All that stuff that sometimes ministers will pay attention to while we neglect our, inter our interior life. And yet it's that internal life. Uh, man, that's, that's that, you know, Jesus, I mean, said that, you know, it's, it's out of the heart that you see who a person really is. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I, I learned in my marriage that uh, you know, part of being a good husband is paying attention to what's in me because that's going to affect the way I treat Charlotte. It's going to affect the way I treat my children, and the way I talk with our elders. Um, and so, 
that that particular book helped me make a real shift to paying a lot more attention to the baggage that I had brought into my ministry. Um, anyway, I could go on with that, but yeah. Well, I definitely see some influence of those ideas about paying attention to your uh, internal world. I definitely see some of those ideas in the encouragement note that you send out pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, yeah, for our audience who, who aren't aware, um, is it monthly or bi-monthly? Every two weeks. Okay. So every two weeks. Every, every Martin, Monday morning. I mean, Monday mornings, every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Dr. Martin sends out uh, what he calls his encouragement note. And it's a series of, um, you know, short, short sayings, you know, some, some encouraging thoughts. Um, I, I really find very valuable the articles that you link to uh, because those are things that I benefit from, but mm -hmm. otherwise would not have found on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one, I, I can't remember exactly what it, uh, what it was about, um, but I remember at the time looking that up and thinking, man, wow, this is really good. And I think I might have even shared it with, a, I, I shared it with uh, one of our ministers on staff. Okay. Um, it, oh, it was the article. I'm starting to remember now. It was the article that was about uh, not not trying to guess who's mad at you or, or how, oh, yeah. how many people can be mad at you or something like that. Ka yeah. Kathleen Smith. Yeah, no. that no. one. I, I sent it to one of our ministers on staff um, mm -hmm. because it, it was appropriate for them to have at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, but I, I let me ask this. This uh, this book by McDonald that you've mentioned, he he calls mm -hmm. it. He describes it the interior world or internal world. Is that what we would call today mental health? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Um, it, it also involves just the health of your soul. Uh, your but but yeah, mental health, emotional health. Um, you know. Right now, uh, this has been a very difficult season for a lot of ministers. And one of the things I do is I'm, I work with a group of ministers regularly uh, for a period of five months. And then I'm in one-on-one -on -one conversations um, with ministers literally every week. Um, and we're, we wrestle with uh, some of the challenges of how in the world do you stay calm or calmer in a culture and in a church that is highly anxious? How do you stay connected to people who disagree with you or it's just, you just find it hard to get near them, close to them, whatever. Uh, how do you, how do you stay connected emotionally and then how do you, how do you get clear about who you are and what you think while at the same time you allow people the freedom to think for themselves? So anyway, and a lot of that, it has to do with what in the world is going on within me because I wrestle with anxiety like anybody else. I'm constantly going to Jesus and saying, oh, you know, Lord, carry this problem, carry that problem because <laughs> it's over. But there, there's no, it doesn't mean that, that 
as a, as a person that my anxiety just disappears. Uh, you know, when I get into a, t- the, the challenge is not to make it go away. The challenge is to notice what's going on within you and to bring that to the Lord and to make a decision about how can I function more calmly instead of letting my raw emotion take over in this next conversation. Yeah. So that has been an incredibly valuable lesson that I especially learned during uh, the early stages of the pandemic last year. Yeah. There was, um, there were all of these, uh, all of these stressors mm-hmm. related not just to the pandemic, but um, but also a, a situation where we were, without going into a lot of detail, we were experienced. We were victims of identity theft or attempted identity theft, mm-hmm. and found out about it the week before my a wife was put on furlough. Oh my! And um, and then just two weeks before that. You know, tornadoes hit Middle Tennessee, mm-hmm. and my um, you know, my folks lived uh, less than half a mile away from a uh, you know from a from a house that uh, or from a church that that got ripped into. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned this in a, in an earlier episode of the podcast. Um, I, I guess because I've mentioned it now in, in two out of the three episodes that we've had, I guess that must have affected me, even though I wasn't in Middle Tennessee but the overwhelming majority of my family is still in middle. Sure. Absolutely. And so I, I needed to realize that I had to pay closer attention to what was going on inside because I was wrongly uh, expressing that, that anxiety. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think in the last year, hope at least I've gotten a little bit better at that because I've been able to, you know, I've been able to just go ahead and, and tell my wife, for example, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm feeling really stressed out about something and, and I don't know what it is. And then just in the moment, we'll kind of start talking through it. And, yeah. um, that, that has been, that's been really helpful for me. It, and I, I never even knew that that was a normal thing to do, or at least a good thing to do. Oh, Kevin, I mean, just the other night, I was talking to my wife, Charlotte, about just some things I'm grappling with at work. And at one point, she looked at me and she said, do you realize that when you get anxious, you figure out ways to make yourself even busier than you already are? I said, you know, and. I, I could feel myself begin to get defensive. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you just said yes to this invitation and yes to this deal and yes to that. And she said, all I'm saying is I've been married to you for a long time. Every time you get highly anxious, then it seems like you also get highly busy. And she's exactly right. That's a, that, it, that was a way of, it's an unhealthy way of trying to cope with anxiety mm-hmm. by, you know, if I could just stay busy, I don't have to think about it. Oh man. Yeah. 
I had the opposite problem in in college mm-hmm. where when anxiety struck, I would take a nap <laughs> and then I would wake up having not done any of the work that I was avoiding. Yeah. I feel more stressed. <laughs> yeah. And it, what you just said, Kevin, and for anybody listening, uh, the problem is not so much the taking naps or the getting busy. The mm. problem is when I don't see that. Mm. And I'm, I'm just thinking I'm okay while everybody else <laughs> knows that there's, there, there's a pretty anxious person here. And so part of, uh, you know, what we do with anxiety in ministry, in the churches, or just as in our marriages, if I can just begin to pay attention to what's going on internally, that can really be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found that to be especially valuable even in the midst of, say, for example, a tense conversation. Mm-hmm. That gradually, if I begin to, I, I think there's a term for it. If I'm misusing this term, I apologize. Um, differentiation, maybe. I, I yes. Yeah. Where I, I, I yeah. become aware of, you know, first off, I just have to believe, okay, you know, this tense conversation is happening. Uh, when you're in ministry long enough, as I'm sure you well know, or in a lot of occupations, those conversations happen. Not all the time, thankfully, but they do happen sometimes more often than we'd like. Uh, the first couple of times that happened to me, I was surprised and, and just so taken aback that I, I, was, I, I was more shocked and, and couldn't gather my thoughts. But eventually I got better at being able to gather my thoughts during that process. Mm-hmm. and um, really started to pay close attention to, okay, I'm processing what they're saying. I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm aware that my anxiety is wanting to skyrocket, but if I can remain calm, that's going to make everything mm-hmm. else go better. It's, uh, it's not an easy practice for sure, but I found it to be incredibly useful. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you use the word differentiation. It's it, that. Uh, for what we're talking about, it comes right out of family systems. And basically what it means is, how do you be a healthy self? One of two things is going to often happen. We're either going to start acting pretty interesting based upon our own, because of our own anxiety or somebody else's. Mm-hmm. If you've ever gone into a, you were just doing fine. And then you showed up at this meeting Oh my goodness, all these people highly anxious, you know? And so the question is now, what are you going to do with that? The healthy self, I look at a group like that and I go, you know, everybody's pretty anxious in here. I need to think about what I say, my tone of voice. What I try to do sometimes is I'll lower my voice when I'm in a setting like that, and I'll I'll actually speak more slowly. Uh, and so, in a sense, I'm uh, I may feel some anxiety inside, but I'm trying to have a calmer presence. And that's you know, a healthy self is just where you're. One of the aspects of a healthy self is you don't let anxiety just take over. Mm-hmm. Because it's looking for a way to take over. 
gum. That that's a that lends itself well to an interesting application to what you had meant something you had mentioned earlier about learning how to say no. I know the con original context of that was about learning how to say no to all the other demands on your time. But I think you could still apply that principle of learning how to say no to anxiety mm -hmm. here in this situation, recognizing it and then going through the steps to yeah. uh, it, basically not to give it a foothold. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, one of the things I'll do sometimes like with Philippians four is I'll, uh, I will just kind of think about the passage and I'll think, Lord, I know you're near. And yet I, I'm acting like it's, it's all me. I know you're near and Lord, I, I need you to take this problem, this mess and take the way I'm feeling. And what I've found is if I can kind of get outside of myself and start thinking like that, it, it, it's not a quick fix, but it sure is helpful. And I'll, I'll pray and thank the Lord that he's with me in all of this. I find that very helpful. Yeah. My oldest brother uh, for, for a long time now has been a high school teacher. Hmm. And at the different schools that he has taught, he's been the volleyball coach. And wow. I, I, I don't know if this, I doubt this analogy originated with him, but I'm crediting him because he was the first person who, uh, who I remember hearing say mm -hmm. this is that you know, for his team, he always told them, uh, be a thermostat, not a thermometer yeah. for them. You know, it, it, it was up to, it was up to the, the six girls on, on the court to, uh, to set the pace of the game, to dictate the flow of the game, to be in control not to reflect the frantic pace of whatever the other team was doing. Uh -huh. I have tried in, in so many different ways to incorporate that idea in my life, in ministry, um, school settings, and even in, especially in, in family settings where yeah. if it's, if I happen to be the kind of person that can more easily sway the tone mm -hmm. of the conversation or, or, or the day or something along those lines, then I, I just need to do my part to make sure that, or, yeah. or, or to, you know, to ensure that I'm not bringing unnecessary anxiety or stress or anger or something along those lines to the people around me. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, you can't control your you can't control other people, but you can manage yourself mm -hmm. by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit. You can manage your, yourself in in a church setting. One of the best things a minister can do is to be very serious about your own transformation into the image of Christ within the context of the church, and to and to manage your own behavior. If everybody else is is just going bonkers with anxiety. I can't fix these people. I can't solve all this, but I know that I can be a calmer presence. Mm -hmm. That's especially valuable these days because kind of a real world example of that. Uh, just earlier, uh, earlier in the month, 
mm-hmm. the uh, the governor of Texas uh, made some comments about about lifting re- restrictions for COVID, and churches all over the state are now going to start asking the questions. Okay, what next? Mm-hmm. And uh, in the conversations that I know are that are being had uh, by uh, by folks, not just in in Texas but other states around who are anticipating mm-hmm. uh, similar kinds of things. One of the best things that I've seen is uh, is folks saying, yeah, we can't control what everybody else is going to do. We know what we can work with. We know how we can continue to operate. Mm-hmm. And we're going to monitor and adjust as necessary. And we're going to, you know, we're going to carry on. And that's such yeah. a, that's such a relief to have that yeah. kind of attitude for mm-hmm. something as serious as, you know, lifting restrictions and figuring out how to get back to church safely and so on. Yeah. 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 I, I love the tone of that, Kevin. That's very good. It's, it's a very different tone than kind of an either or, or they're going to dig in their heels. We'll dig in our heels. Uh, rather in, in our judgment, this is the route we need to go for now. We will monitor and adjust. Yeah. That sounds very healthy. Yeah. Dr. Martin, as we near the end of our time together this afternoon, let me ask, is there anything else that you would want to mention, maybe not necessarily to just young ministers, but maybe also to, uh, to ministers who are you know, maybe in their, in their 30s or so, and they've been doing ministry for 10 or 15 years, uh, considering considering this larger group of folks, is there anything else just really pressing or that came to mind in the course of our conversation that you want to share before we, uh, before we break for today? Oh, I guess I would just add that if you've done this for a while, um, like I have done this for a while, it's so important that you periodically reinvent yourself. The longer you serve a church, the the easier it is to get stuck in a rut and you keep doing the same things the same way and you quit learning and quit growing. Uh, Sometimes it's just important to reinvent yourself, to learn something brand new. Uh, Sometimes to put yourself in a new ministry situation. Sometimes to uh, start something new, like a podcast that you've never done before. And there's a lot of that going around. Yeah. And when, when you put yourself in a situation where you don't, when I, when I left Waco, I'd I'd served that church 20 years. Mm -hmm. It was time for me to do something else. I still wanted to serve the church. I still wanted to serve ministers, especially. So when I came here to Harding School of Theology, there was a learning curve. I had a lot to learn. That was invigorating. Mm -hmm. It made me vulnerable. I was no longer this expert that had done something for 20 years. I was just learning. And I think it's helpful if periodically you can reinvent yourself and uh, learn something new. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't care how old you are. Um, 
it's not too late to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, that's, that's what I would add. I, I can definitely appreciate that. Uh, I had mentioned in the, um, in, in a previous episode uh, with the guest that when the pandemic hit about a year ago, mm-hmm. it, it, especially at smaller churches, but it seemed like at most churches, preachers, pastors, ministers of all shapes and sizes, they all had to become TV producers overnight. They yep. had to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? And I, mm-hmm. it, was, it was actually, you know, despite all the annoyance of not being able to be in church like usual and, and just everything was different, um, it was actually invigorating to me. Mm-hmm said okay i'm gonna i'm gonna use i know how to use these basic softwares applications that come with my computer um i need to think about lighting i need to think about microphone okay and then gradually i started tweaking the the setup to where i you know started using my own phone uh bought Uh a small microphone and just gradually i learned in the process that's a that's a and in the grand scheme of things that's a that's a smaller scale significance um significant in terms of significance application of the principle that you've mentioned here but i think that that's absolutely valuable for us Uh, you know and it really goes back to something that you said earlier um good ministers keep on learning reinventing yourself is and i think another expression of continuing to learn Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Dr. Martin, thank you so much for joining us on, uh, on this episode of Faith in the Folds. I have really enjoyed our, our talk today. And, um, it, it, and it's also some degree affirming because you, uh, you politely mentioned starting a new podcast, um, you know, as a way in which one can reinvent themselves or continue learning. Mm-hmm. That is precisely how I pitched you know, having you on um, uh, on the podcast in the first place. I'm a young minister uh, in, in terms of years of experience. I don't know if 35 mm-hmm. counts as young, but in terms of years of experience, I, I'm a younger minister. And uh, I, I, I want to learn. So I figured one of the best ways to learn would be to ask. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to ask good questions uh, like you mentioned earlier. So Dr. Martin, thanks again. Well, I'm honored to be with you. And I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Kevin.